Disorientation, The Way Down, copyright 2023 by Laszlo Salieri for the House of Forbidden Knowledge. All rights reserved. You get used to the darkness after a while. That's why you're here though, isn't it? To shut off your senses, to shut off all sense entirely, and have your head filled by experts of nonsense with the long-term aim of comprehending all of the nonsense that the universe has to offer, as if all it was doing was offering nonsense for you to take it your pleasure instead of drowning you in it despite your wishes and best efforts. To comprehend all of the nonsense that you've been drowning in all of your life. Nonsense is the kind word. English idiom suggests the term bullshit to hammer home the idea that such an unceasing flood is to be avoided for its fragrant foulness, for the treacherousness it lends to one's footing, for how it clings and persists, for how in sufficient quantity it can smother you. You get used to the darkness, perhaps, but you never get used to the smell. Not of bullshit. That's not what you're smelling. For this smell the term is petrichor. The smell of wet soil or rock after rain. It doesn't come from rock or soil after all, but from a living source, a largely symbiotic relationship between fungal hyphae and bacteria and other anaerobic prokaryotes, ubiquitous all over the Earth's surface and also under it. When it rains upstairs, the substances of petrichor are aerosolized and drift with the breeze. Humans are hundreds of thousands of times more sensitive to the odors of petrichor than sharks are to blood in the water. You shouldn't find it too remarkable to hear the scent of petrichor is how camels find water in the deep desert. The only other smell humans would smell as easily is dimethyl sulfide, which is the smell of the sea. Which is also not the sea per se, but the rank farts of the bacteria that eat phytoplankton. On a world without the life you find familiar, you would smell neither fresh water nor salt. But down here, despite the bone-grinding chill, despite the flesh-melting heat as we go even further down, it's nearly impossible to smell anything else. Except for the smells of freshly cracked rock. And the oh-so-traditional sulfur and brimstone. But those are smells you get used to. There is no place that we go until we're wading balls deep, chest deep, singed eyebrows deep in magma that the manufacturers of petrichor have not gone first. And even then we can smell it nearby. Wherever there's a drip, drip, drip of moisture. They call the effect that we're going for, here, deep underground, sensory deprivation. That's inaccurate, but it's an understandable mistake. We're reducing input from the bright world, the living world, the world you knew as a much younger child, so that your thousands of senses can learn to detect and analyze what's truly important. Down here there is still a world of smells and sounds. And light of a kind. No cosmic radiation worth the consideration of the name would be stopped by a mere kilometer or two of lithosphere. This blue bubble of a planet floats in a shallow sea, a mass full of currents and flows and lively twitches that will stir and delight and inform many of your senses once you are acclimated. They will whisper so many secrets to you, and also a number of lies. You will learn to feel them, to discern them and discern with them, to add them to your own dark body and reach out through them. And you will practice and practice and practice until the dark delight wears off, until it seems a drudgery, until it seems as joyless and pointless as your weak jelly eyes and meat limbs. Your jelly eyes will atrophy, of course. They will dry up and wither. You will never need them again once you can see with your whole body, and your whole other body, even if you go back to the light. But you will need to keep your meat body strong. You will winnow it down to just the fibers and structures you really need, discarding all other organs left and right. 
Nourishment is rare and sparse. You can't feed every part of you that you've brought. You will have to make some tough choices. We, the faculty, will laugh and laugh as you try to save the things you never needed, as you irretrievably discard something critical and scramble to make up for the lack. Does that seem like hazing? No. We teach a necessary lesson. Some choices have permanent and lasting ramifications that define who you are, what is left of you, forever. Our amusement is an irrelevant detail. So what if we place bets on who will cripple themselves beyond hope of survival, who will thrive despite, who will scramble madly to staple on crutch after crumbling crutch to delay the inevitable, who will strive to remain fat by secretly devouring classmates, support staff, servants, laboratory projects? We merely hope to see something new. A new way to succeed. A new way to fail. It has been a very long time since we have seen something new. If at any point you fail to preserve enough of yourself, we will save you if you beg. But from that point forward, you will no longer be a student, a candidate for graduation. You will be staff. A servant. Material for demonstrations and experiments. Office supplies. Depending on what's left. Depending on how much is left. It could be better to simply fail and fade. Who am I to say? If you were made of promising stuff, we may claim your abandoned pieces anyway. It's in the contract. I see that you have already died a number of times on your journey down, down. By now you should see that it's not so big a deal. It's like dropping your fork at the table. It's embarrassing, and we won't give you a new one. It's up to you to knit yourself back together and continue. If there are enough pieces remaining, you don't fail by dying. That should be obvious. You fail by not having enough pieces or enough skill to put yourself back together viably. Thousands of senses, literally. I mean it. Vision alone is actually dozens, starting with the basic retinal response elements of red-green, blue-yellow, and bright-dark. Then there is the visual sense of motion, of depth and distance, of matte and shine, opacity and translucency, of fog and focus, of size and quantity and every single one of the decidedly unnatural idealized geometrical shapes and properties we've trained ourselves to see, of linearity and parallelness, of verticality and horizontality judged against yet another unrelated sense of downness. Touch includes the temperatures and textures and senses of breeze and presence and moisture and a kinesthetic sense that magically expands our sense of our own selves to include whatever tools we are holding or beasts or vehicles we are riding or clothing or weapons or armor we wear. Here is a preliminary assignment. As you continue downward to your world's second city, a crawling journey of more than a month at this rate, you will enumerate your complete list of senses and memorize them. I will not help you in any way other than the prompting you have already been given. When we arrive, you will recite this list from beginning to end to your proctor. Any sense that you leave off the list, we will remove, as your neglect will have made it seem like you find it unnecessary and unworthy of consideration. This will be the first of many sacrifices to make yourself lean. The judicious among you may decide to leave certain senses off your list intentionally. This is not an unknown gambit. We will oblige, but you should be aware that there are always ramifications. My advice to you is to be thorough. Be complete. You will lose enough as it is. We will not return what we take. Breathing, you may have discovered, is increasingly becoming a problem. 
Perhaps you'll recall having heard that this world didn't have much free oxygen until a bloom of photosynthetic organisms poisoned the sky with it as a metabolic byproduct, killing off the bulk of what life had already developed with their poisonous corrosive farts. The world has been sometimes slowly rusting, sometimes quickly burning, ever since. The bulk of life on Earth has learned to live while burning, desperately serially replacing itself instead of enduring. It's kind of endearing, that frenetic desperation. In any case, photosynthesis requires light in the visible spectrum. The region of Dis, where we are headed, is differently illuminated. There is airflow from the surface. Great holes secretly are digged where Earth's pores ought to suffice. The tides of the two seas, fresh and salt, provide the pumping action. The increased air density helps a little, but not as much as one might hope. Other heady vapors accumulate. We like our gases slow and heavy, like syrup. By necessity you will learn to curtail your dependence on being on fire. Once you learn this trick you will last longer. Much, much longer. You'll come to understand that burning was the original problem. How can you grow old and wise if you can't last a thousand years, if you live among other kinds that also must rush, 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 living as a series of small explosions, desperate to burn you in their bellies so they themselves do not burn? Writing was the solution to not personally having a thousand-year memory. But memory is better. There is enough oxygen to help you wean yourself off the stuff, but seriously, learn not to burn. Here the airflow serves another purpose. It helps cool things down, helps replenish the Apsu and Tiamat oceans and the rivers that flow between them, helps modulate the dark flows even, helps provide signposts for travel for those who have abandoned their jelly eyes. But you can breathe it if you must. We don't mind. Just know that it won't be enough. You should get out of the habit. Speaking of bellies, you may have also discovered that eating is problem as well. Not that you ever really ate the way you thought you did. Almost no one gets it right, even though your basic anatomy gives you every clue to understanding how it has worked up to now. Water you can consume directly, though you will need to discover how to consume less of that as well, to moderate your body temperature in ways that does not dump water wastefully on the surface of your skin merely to cool you by evaporation. But along with water you can handle certain simple hydrocarbons, some minerals, a few delicate and simple amino acids, and not much else. For the rest of it, you've always needed a lot of help. Living things are covered in the eager microbes that are tailor-made, ready and waiting, to break them down into dust. Many of them are hard at work already, working on shed cells, maybe a few living cells, trying to get a head start. People murder them in bulk via the cooking process, these microbes, but luckily a few survive. In your gut, they would join colonies established by past survivors and get to work rotting the animals and fungi and vegetables and not surviving microbes in the warm, wet, dark, anoxic place you made for them, slimy meters and meters of it. Most of what you are made from is not the food you've eaten, but the waste products from the microbes eating your food, and the microbes themselves when they have died and are disrupted into water, simple sugars and starches and oils and fats, simple amino acids, which you then absorb. Your gut is a farm of microbial crops and livestock to which you feed your macroscopic relatives as coarse chewed-up pastes and bite-sized chunks. Then you digest the dead of your crops and your livestock after they have eaten their fill and lived long happy lives, and also you dine on the constant stream of their wastes. Mostly their wastes. Most of what you expel are the shells of dead microbes and everything even they found to be indigestible. Long-chain polymers of substances they gave up on. Keratin.
chitin, cellulose, and lignin. All moved along by precious water, which you reclaim in the last segment, right before the exit. Ideally, as you go down, your internal farm will suffer drops and famine. Your various hosted crops and herds will die. Luckily for you, the walls and crevices through which you now crawl, the earth's own intestines, are covered in new friends to make, for whom you must play host, who will, if you are careful, thrive on your behalf. Extremophiles, you've called them. The advance guard that turns toxic wasteland into biomass no matter what the conditions from which all life that thrives here on earth is eventually derived. Dust is their food and clay their meat. So that is what you yourself will learn to eat in order to feed them. They, in their own way, will tell you what to seek and where to find it. They have already started the process, carried beneath your bruised and splintered fingernails to your various orifices to begin your colonization. You will care for them and they will keep you alive. You will live on their wastes, frugal as they are, and on their corpses. The transition will be slow and uncomfortable. You will have died several times before what's left of your body works out all of the kinks. Most of our living visitors don't go through this process. Your educational track, however, lasts for many, many years. You can't spend that entire time in a bubble. You would learn nothing that you don't already know. If you are successful, you will learn how to figure out how to live, how to thrive, anywhere you like for as long as you like. In the heart of a sun. In the cold wastes between them. In all of the places and the crevices and gulfs and abysses between the places. Because you personally will be another copy of the library, transcribed within yourself, and what is the point of a library that cannot endure? The house of forbidden knowledge thrives on your attention and starves without your support. Consider becoming a free or paid subscriber and sharing the news of our work.